Alright, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Akeem's Dream Show. Today we have a very special guest, a very, very charming, charismatic, and intelligent young man who's going to talk to us today about science. Yes, science. Specifically physics. He is a physics major at the University of Alberta, climbing enthusiast, and lover of anime and all things animation. Please help me welcome to Akeem's Dream Show for the very first time, Ethan Rowe. Thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, no worries. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the... Uh introduction I appreciate it Ethan yes thanks thanks for being on the show uh, I want to talk to you about a lot today uh, I wanted to always uh, whenever I thought about physics and science I always thought about Ethan because at the University of Alberta I used to just corner him and just make him explain to me complex scientific theories and uh, he explained to me over the summer the difference between a hypothesis and a theory because uh, apparently I didn't know the difference uh, why don't we start there why don't you explain to us the difference between uh, a hypothesis and a theory sure um, so a main misconception that most people have about the word theory is that it's only just an idea. It's just something somebody said and that's all it really is and it's just an opinion. Or, or hold the same weight as an opinion. But the difference between a hypothesis and a theory is that a theory has the most strong scientific support in the community of, of any proposal. A hypothesis is, has the same weight as an opinion. A scientifically informed opinion, but still an opinion. But a theory has so much more grounds for, it has so much more evidential grounds, and there's, a theory incorporates every observable, just everything that has ever been observed. The theory of gravity, I've never seen apples fall up. It's, it's not just an idea, it, it's concrete. Gotcha, so it's very, yeah, we can verify it. it what another way to say it is we can test the theory, but it's, we can't yet test an hypothesis? No, you test the hypothesis to, uh, to strengthen its resolve to help it incorporate a larger thing but you test you test a theory because theories can only be proven wrong they can never be proven right in this case so testing a theory is the, the whole point of it it's, if you disprove a theory then you have some a giant fluke or uh, some major evidence to overturn a huge portion of reality i wonder if that's ever been done before dispro disproving theories uh, Absolutely, there's um, there's lots of there's definitely lots of cases of that in history. I mean, that's how we learn is disproving disproving theories with more great with greater, more rigorous, like still approximations, but theories. Would Isaac Newton's theory of uh, of gravity did he have to disprove a theory that was presented by the church, or was that just like a religious thing, like where the church was like, hey, we uh, we revolve around the sun, or no, the sun revol revolves around us. Yeah. And then, was that a theory, or was that just an opinion by the church? Yeah, it was the, so, the geocentric model of the universe, right? We're at the center of everything, and everything revolves around us. Which, I'm pretty sure, Newton actually believed. He was re very religious. He believed in transmutation and a whole bunch of other unscientific theories, or unscientific ideas. But what he, what he did have an apt for was calculus, and being able to study the change of things and relate it to math and numbers in quantifiable ways. Um... I don't know if that really answers your question specifically. No, it does. I mean, because I, I think that if there was a theory presented by or uh, by the church about this a geocentric model you just proposed, that if they had to, uh, if that was a theory, Isaac would have to like, you know, have fight some inner demons or to <laughs> do some mental gymnastics to, you know, to understand that he he knows how the universe works because of his understanding of calculus. But at the same time, he has this faith and this belief in God and all this. I wonder if God obeys the laws of physics, or does, uh, you know? I mean, I don't think I'm the utmost authority to answer this question, whether on, God man. obeys physics, but I'll give my opinion. <laughs> um, if God is of and in this universe, he obeys the laws of and within this universe. If he's outside of this universe looking in, then I don't see why he would have to obey any sorts of laws whatsoever. Isn't he the one who makes the laws or something like that? <laughs> I guess that would be the uh, religious argument. Okay, fair enough. No, because I, I, I know that uh, one of my favorite things when I'm researching about or I'm learning about physics and some famous physicists get asked about God, they always pause. And normally they're quick to answer most questions. Mm -hmm. But whenever you ask them about God or spirituality, because it does, it's something esoteric and you can't really put your finger on it. And it's more intangible. And there's no formula for it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I think um, physicists work a lot better with numbers than they do with uh, feelings. Exactly. Or philosophy, like free will versus determinism. Yeah, that's a, the scientific community can be really split on ideas such as that, whether, 
whether everything we do is already predetermined or whether we do have free will whatsoever. And there's lots of arguments for and against, but I feel like if you have, <laughs> if you, uh, if you don't know the difference, then why does it matter? Like, just live your life. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, I mean, just live your life. Uh, but the people who are concerned with this question, this age-old question of free will versus determinism, well, this is where it gets interesting with theoretical physics. For example, if time travel was real and we could go back in time, wouldn't that mean that we don't have free will? There, see, the thing is, is we only Or live wouldn't that mean that we do have free will? See, we only live in a universe in which time flows in one direction. And when you consider a universe that accepts time flowing in either directions, it leads to paradoxical situations in this universe, which we try to apply that, that flow of time to. It's the reason why all, like, Back to the Future has so many plot holes in other movies like that is because it's completely inexplainable to travel through time and the, the, uh, the cause and effect. The cause and effect is completely broken because of the flow of time. So is time travel theoretically possible, but physically not? Like, how, or, or is it possible at all, time I, travel? I think the closest thing that we could say to time travel is that there are reactions and interactions that happen in this universe that are time symmetric. Whether time was flowing forwards or backwards, they would act identical. And that, that is with the, that basically implies the conservation of energy. But to say that to travel forwards and then reverse backwards in time would be very, uh, well, you'd find a lot of arguments within the scientific community about the plausibility. Right. I mean, yeah, that's why it's theoretical. There's a guy named Michael Kaku out of the New York uh, University, uh, NYU, and he's a theoretical f physicist. He's big on string theory. But he was asked about this, and he said that if you think about time, most people think of time as a linear line. But time is actually like a river. It yeah. speeds up and it slows down because of relativity, like what Einstein proved. But there's also uh, these uh, whirlpools that can swish back. So like, if you look at a river, Sometimes you have these rocks that kick up the water and it causes it to stop or even reverse. And it takes a tremendous amount of energy to do that in the case of a river rocks. But in the case of the galaxy and the universe within physics, this could be a black hole, for example. And that wormhole would be accomplished. And the wormhole, maybe you can elaborate on what that is, but in physics, that must uh, get you guys excited, eh? Oh yeah, definitely. That gets, that gets the uh, physics boner going. <laughs> I guess one of the uh, most stereotypical explanations for the for a wormhole is that you take a piece of paper like this one here, yep. you fold it in half, and you shove a pencil right through it to indicate that the fastest way to go from one point to another is through and not around. It's uh, very basic, doesn't really explain any of the physics behind it, but I guess the analogy is kind of nice. Um, with respect to that, wormholes... Um, I don't think they're proven by general relativity, but I would be remiss to say that I know for sure that it isn't. Um, general relativity, which dictates its energy dictates how, oh, I can't remember what the saying is, but it's something about how energy and matter dictate the flow of space-time around them. And it's, yeah, I guess that comes back to the flow of time, and I guess there's just a lot we don't know yet uh, about our own universe. Right. Yeah, there's a lot. And we were uh, even discussing earlier about one of the things that doesn't have a theory yet is quantum mechanics and how when you go, if you go small enough, uh, the theory of physics breaks, or sorry, the math um, around uh, like the quantum mechanics and how atoms relate, neutrons relate to each other, it kind of breaks down if you go small enough or if you go within a, the, the center of a black hole all the theory of relativity, all the physics that we know today, and the, the, the rules of the universe, they kind of don't apply anymore. Though I would like to say that's completely accurate. I would make one slight correction. It's, the, it's a theory of quantum gravity that we are missing. The theory of quantum mechanics is extremely well proven experimentally and theoretically. The theory of general relativity is also very thoroughly and rigorously been tested and proven correct. The problem is, is when you try and combine the domain of both quantum mechanics and general relativity in this case. Quantum mechanics is the description of atoms, particles, basically anything on the very smallest of scales, while general relativity dictates the movement of absolutely massive objects with enormous amounts of energy through long amounts of space and time. They are, occupy completely different domains. Uh, I think the order of magnitude difference between the smallest and the very largest scales of the universe is, I think it's like to the fifth, 10 to like the 40 or something. I can't exactly wow. remember. It's absolutely 
insane the difference. So to to be able to reconcile those two theories with a greater theory is would be the mathematical accomplishment and the <laughs> physical accomplishment of the century for yeah. sure. I mean that's interesting. I, I was uh, listening to a talk the other day about um, some scientists and physicists who were trying to measure the weights of the universe in totality, and what they came across was this thing—a uh, theory of, or not theory, based on your explanation of what a theory is like earlier, but the hypothesis of dark matter mm. and um, how much dark matter there is in the universe because. When they came to their final calculation of how much the the universe weighs, they had all this space that was like unaccounted for that they couldn't really put their finger on. And I don't know, it's interesting. Like, what is dark matter? Oh, that is such a good question. And I wish I could answer that for you with the direct, most clear, concise answer possible. But what we do know is that it's massive. <laughs> That's all we know about it. <laughs> the thing is, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it does. All we know is that it interacts through gravitational interactions and possibly with the weak force. But besides that, we don't know much else about dark matter. We just know that it makes up, I think it was 35% uh, of our entire universe, wow. whereas uh, normal matter makes up 5%. It's The discrepancy is absolutely massive. It makes up more of the universe than anything we have ever experienced or known. Wow. So would there be dark matter on Earth? Yeah, absolutely. It would be in the most dense places possible. Like there should be, there should be, uh, like a reservoir of dark matter in the middle of the Earth and in the middle of the Sun, just because those are the most dense. Uh, those are, in relative terms, like the denser places in our solar system. Uh, so wherever, like dark matter just seeks to enhance the gravitational pull that matter already exerts on itself. In this case, that's that's all we really know. We just know the effect it has. And it has a weight. It weighs. Yeah. Um, so a lot of one of the uh, one of the hypotheses for what dark matter is is called a WIMP, a weakly interacting massive particle. And in this case, it describes something that is very slow moving, very dense, or very very massive in comparison to all the other elementary particles, and it doesn't interact with basically anything. And that's. That's all we really know. There's a couple other candidates for dark matter, like superfluid dark matter, um, and that's just, I don't know enough about that to accurately explain it, so I'm gonna leave it there. Okay, no, that's interesting. I mean, dark matter, I wonder if there, uh, once we can kind of get a handle, a grip around what that actually is and what it means, if there's any uh, applications for it. You know, because my free market economy mind is thinking about, hey, like, how, how can we bring this to the free, to the to the business place? You know, because quantum mechanics, we have the computers because of it, right? Yep. You have there's so many advances because of physics. Physics is underrated, folks. Physics is underrated, <laughs> folks. Amen. I mean, without physics, we I wouldn't be. This podcast isn't happening. So we just got to give it some more respect, and that's why I wanted to have Ethan on. And one of the biggest things about physics that I think that when it comes to the world we live in, we have environmental challenges, uh, oil and gas is uh, being questioned as a reliable energy source that's sustainable and clean for the atmosphere and whatnot and on and on. So one of my things is, why don't we just change the energy we get, right? Why don't we just change our energy uh, uh, sources? And one of the most fascinating ones to me would have to be fusion energy. And I mean, I'm talking to a uh, physics student right now. So why not ask about fusion energy and the possibilities behind uh, tapping into the power of the sun? Well, that is a great question. Why don't we just change our energy source? And that's the simple answer to that is because fusion energy is only ever 30 years away forever. <laughs> fusion energy seems to be right within our grasp of scientific of like being able to control the power of the sun, essentially. But we are also so far because the risks are equally high as the rewards. The thing is, with nuclear fusion energy, it's all about trying to have... What you will get from nuclear fusion energy in this case is very low cost to produce because it will have produced so much more energy. Yeah, so it's the potential for low cost, very low waste, but also the potential for catastrophe is quite high. The problem is obtaining a self-driven, spontaneous process of fusion which doesn't actually extinct all life within a 10 mile radius of it. <laughs> if you think Chernobyl is bad, a, a, nuclear a nuclear fusion reaction meltdown would absolutely look, would make Chernobyl look like a joke, like an absolutely sick joke. <laughs> it's, uh, there's nothing to be messed with, and I, so I think all the scientists and physicists behind 
the current research into nuclear fusion energy are taking it extremely carefully because they're because the horrors of nuclear fission energy are all too recent in a lot of people's memories. Right. Yeah, and that's why I've heard uh, you know prominent people like Elon Musk saying, "Let's just like set up fusion uh, nuclear plants on the moon and just just completely blow it up because there's no residual damage or collateral damage to Earth potentially." But for the folks out there who don't even know what the fuck fusion and fission is. Is it, is it true to say that fission is the splitting of an atom and then fusion is the uh, collision? Yeah, I guess that would be pretty accurate to say, but in this case they both contain the collision of something with the nucleus of an atom. The difference is, is that it takes a lot more energy to fuse than it does to fizz in this case. Um, the thing right. is, with fission energy, usually it's neutrons being accelerated at particles just like basically a line, just a laser basically, a laser beam of, uh, of neutrons add a, a bunch of dense atoms to hopefully cleave the atom in half and release the stored chemical energy of the bonds within the nucleus. Um, but fusion energy in this case, you shoot another much higher uh, stream of neutrons or protons or anything can technically be fused together with high enough energies. But the thing is, is you want enough energy to place it inside the nucleus but not completely destroy the nucleus itself and this has like the nuclear fusion energy has the potential for 100% cost I mean 100% energy cost conversion like literally no downside you could put in 100% of the energy and it would return to you more of oh it. it's 100% efficient yeah I'm pretty sure it's 100% efficient in this case wow or so too, it's, like the, very it's, like, it's like the electric blanket the electric blanket. Um, <laughs> I think if you sleep on a nuclear fusion reactor, you'll be a little warmer at night than if you slept with an electric blanket. But, okay. But basically equivalent. Okay. I like what you said there. Fission is uh, is easier than fusion when it comes to like how it comes about. I mean, it's kind of like the same in relationships, right? It's easier to break up than it is to get together. Yeah, I think it's funny how humans are always better at uh, destroying things than creating things. Ah, it's funny and kind of sad. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we think about the collision of atoms and things like that, I think of the the hadron collider in um, in uh, I think it's CERN in Switzerland. Yep. So is that what they're trying to accomplish there uh, with uh, with bashing these uh, neutrons and atoms together? Like, what are they what are they trying to accomplish? Is it fusion or is it like what are they doing? So a lot of what they're doing, like they have they have accomplished fusion in the very in like very small scales and fission on very small scales as well but what they're trying to accomplish at the la large hadron collider is just to up the energy to push the bounds to simulate furthest back in time as possible to get the most elementary constituents of our universe the higher the energy density the more like it is closer to the earlier the universe because as we all know or i hope we will know is that the energy density of the universe is decreasing with time. The universe is becoming more and more uniform over time. From when it used to be one mass, well, I guess it was very tiny, but also extremely massive, like a uh, Big Bang, little guy. Okay, yeah, so the density, interesting. Uh, when I think about fusion, isn't it true that we need to get the, um, it, it's not just about the speed of the collision, but it's also the heat? Yes, a lot of it is the heat. It's the it's basically the potential energy available to the system for fusion. Uh, nuclear fusion reactors are extremely hot, hostile environments. If you went in there, you would die probably instantly. Wow. It's very unpleasant to experience, I would imagine. Just uh, if you want to know what it's like, just jump into the sun or something real quick. I'm sure you'll find out how warm it is. Okay, yeah. No, that makes sense. And that, that kind of goes back to our metaphor, too, about relationships, right? It gets really hot when you're coming together, right? Hot and toxic. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby. All right. Uh, so yeah, so heat and uh, so nuclear fusion. What are so? What is the? Uh, you said 100% efficient. Give the folks out there uh, a real-world application. Like, what is the power output of like I don't know uh, a cubic meter of uh, fusion energy? Uh, you know, I don't know. I guess it would really. I would Could really it power need a some city or something like that. Could it like, you know? Okay, I see. I see what you're asking, and I just want to say like. The applications of fusion energy are absolutely boundless like right now what we live in is a we live in a world where we have massive energy discrepancies between all different parts of the world right like here in Canada and this and the United States we have we have lots of energy way like way too much compared to the rest of the world and with nuclear fusion energy it would make the availability of free energy just so much cheaper like the 
the fuel per kilogram would be so much cheaper than just okay maybe not per kilogram but per kilowatt hour mm -hmm. so per energy produced would be so much cheaper we'd be able to basically give power to the entire world because we would have so much surplus in foreign countries we'd be able to basically bottle up and sell it basically we'd be able to increase the energy consumption and output of the world without increasing the environmental costs of what energy production historically has as we you know as we know living here in oil field alberta yeah no okay yeah so so net uh, net zero uh uh pollution that sounds really attractive so you'd think that there'd be a lot of money and funding going into this but as you said earlier there's so many complications with not uh just the, just like testing uh the fusion right because it could be deadly like you said with yeah. uh, people blowing things up and all that i mean we don't want to it's a lot of energy to contain in one system right i mean I don't know anything, any material that could contain the heat of the sun or the oh, energy produced, right? Like, gotcha. if the if the reaction becomes too violent, it will... Like, the thing is, they want to contain... They want to create a spontaneous reaction that will... They light... Basically, you light a match and, and it, it just burns. Goes forever. And it just burns. Yeah. And you just need to keep throwing fuel on the fire. But the thing is, if there's too much fuel available when you light the match, you burn your, fa you burn, you burn your house down. <laughs> but if there's not enough fuel, it just flickers out. And what they don't want to do is blow the house up so what they're trying to do is limit is find the bare minimum critical mass of perfusion okay is what it's called the bare minimum so like that's like a threshold before it gets too dangerous no the critical mass in this case is just the uh the density of whatever reactive element you're fusing together the density of it in the chamber at a certain temperature before it spontaneously fuses okay okay it's a uh, it's pretty interesting actually like usually it's with uh so one reason why you mentioned earlier that they're talking about the, the moon for a, like a fusion energy base is because there's, the moon has no magnetic, magnetic shield like we do. The Van Allen belts protect the Earth from ionizing radiation from the sun, but there's nothing like that from the sun for the moon. The moon oh. doesn't have an iron core creating a magnetosphere. In this case, so helium-3 yeah. being fused in the sun, uh, helium-3 is a reactive compound, it is blasted by these cosmic rays to hit the to hit the moon and the, on the cold sides of the moon where it doesn't see much light or heat the helium-3 has slowly collected over time and what we do know is that there's basically lakes of frozen helium-3 on the dark side of the moon and that's what people want that's what companies like china i mean not companies like china it's pretty much a company like now yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> countries like china want they want basically exclusive access to these helium-3 lakes of um, and interesting and even the dirt on the moon is full of helium-3 just because of it's been bombarded by the Sun for right. hundreds of millions of years and uh, it's basically free money like on the, if you can get to the dark side of the moon mine it and bring it back you will 100% make a profit like undoubted I've heard that's the next the, the first trillionaire outside of like someone who can sell you books online <laughs> will be able to go to a comet or an asteroid out in space and mine it for minerals I mean, I, that is, people think that's a really sci-fi idea that we can do that, but what we have proved recently with, um, I wish I remember the name of this probe right now, but it landed on an asteroid, basically shot it with a steel ball, collected dirt, basically mined an asteroid, and is now on its way back to Earth. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I wish I remembered it so badly. I wish I could remember this Holy name. shit, payday. Yeah, absolutely. This, a lot of it is just to... In this case, it's a it's a scientific pursuit instead of a monetary pursuit. They're just trying to find out, like, where the asteroid came from, what it's made out of, how does this align with what we theor theoretically predict asteroids within this area of our solar system should be composed of. But theoretically, if you found an asteroid that was that had a an unusually abundant composition of heavy metals. Uh, that are rare, rarer here on Earth, or radioactive materials, then it would be extremely beneficial to be able to mine asteroids. But in this case, it'd probably be, right now, economically unfeasible. Right. But possible. Right, right. Man, you know a lot about this, and you're a young guy. I'm not going to say how young you are, but you're a young guy. What made you even interested in physics in the first place? I guess what philosophically motivated me is, uh, is that I always like to ask what are called the big questions. I know this is super stereotypical and it's going to come off, but I like thinking analytically and essentially I like being right all the time. 
And you know, it's kind of a nice feeling being right all the time. I'm a very, I was a very argumentative kid, and uh, I feel like this this discipline suited me. But no one ever told me how fucking hard, how hard it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever told me that. Um, but why I accepted this as the what I wanted to pursue in life is just because when I was in the 12th grade, I, I had a lot of money worries. I mean, I still have money worries. I'm a broke university student. Sure. But I had a lot of questions about like how I would be able to fund it. And one of my teachers came up to me. I'm not going to expose them. Sure. But they came up to me and they asked their, if, if money wasn't an object, what would you do with your life? And I mean, I, I, I took a while and it took about two weeks and I came back to them and I said, I want to study physics because I think it's bloody cool. And right. I think it's, I think gaining a greater understanding of the universe that I live in is my goal for now. No, I love it. Was there any like movies or anything like that growing up that was like, holy shit, like this is kind of, you know, it was like, I don't know, maybe Close Encounters with the Third Kind or uh, what's that movie that just came out recently? Interstellar? I think in Interstellar they fly to the center of a black hole. I think that movie's like two years old at this point, but <laughs> it is quite good. I did watch it recently, about a year after it came out, because my brother wouldn't shut up about it, and he doesn't even know anything about physics. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think, I don't think there was any movie specifically that inspired me to, um, to pursue physics, but I think one thing that did inspire me was uh, religion, but not in the way that you'd think. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for God through math. Like, some physicists do. Some physicists think that the way to communicate with God, their creator, this universe, is through the elegance of math. Right. And, and how it describes the universe. But for me, it was more about the answers I didn't receive from religion. And oh. the answers that, that were just accepted, basically. And I decided I don't want to accept things, and I want to know why things are the way they are. Because I like being wow. right all the time. <laughs> That's profound, man. I love that. Uh... You made me think of a Simpsons episode where Homer becomes super smart and then he is able to do complex math and physics equations and he goes up to Flanders and he goes, because Flanders is super religious, right? He goes up to Flanders and he goes, uh, Ned, I was just doing some math the other day and I found out that God doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> the and thing then, is, when you, <laughs> when you can accurately describe every phenomenon you've ever observed in the universe, is there a need for God to exist? Oh. Maybe morally, Maybe. sure, you could argue that, but... You can't say he's the god of the gaps anymore because the gaps have been filled. Well, yeah, because then God would have to re replace that ever uh, that su such an important role, which is a purpose in somebody's life, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Physics also serves people's purpose in life, and I think right now it's what I'm pursuing. So yeah, I mean, I respect everyone's everyone's ability to come to their own conclusions about what li what this life is supposed to be. And with physics, you're studying it. What do you, what what is the discipline within physics that you're studying, or is there disciplines? I don't know how it works. Yes, there is many different disciplines of physics, which are sometimes completely unrelated. Right now, I'm taking five courses. Three of them are physics. Um, one of them is an experimental course. Um, pretty pretty explanatory. We work with uh, high tech equipment and measure really small things. Um, I actually really want to talk a little bit more about that, but sure. uh, other other disciplines that I'm currently studying is mechanics and quantum mechanics. Very unorthodox to study those two things at the same time, but it's going all right, actually. Somehow quantum mechanics is easier than mechanics, so. <laughs> okay, uh, I imagine that has something to do with uh, the way it's being taught, because I mean, <laughs> I feel like when you add something on to something else, it should become e uh, harder, not simpler, but... Uh, yeah, um, so what I wanted to say earlier about my uh, experimental physics course is yeah. that in this last experiment, after March 22nd, I get to uh, do an experiment that I choose and the things that I want to measure. And what I might be working with is I might be working with the photoelectric effect, which Albert Einstein's uh, like key experiment that he ever did, he got a Nobel Prize for this, I'm pretty sure. And uh, so I might be doing that. Or I wow. may be doing the what's called a torsional oscillator, and it's like an ex it's a very very physical, very mechanical system in which you it's just it's just so awesome to look at. Honestly, it's a, it's about simple harmonic motion as it relates to the rigidity of certain objects and how uh, and how to like calculate the potential energy. It's so cool. It's so okay, I, but it takes a little bit. The lab manual is a uh, thirty-seven page. It's 37 pages before you even know what you're supposed to do with it. 
so it's a, a little complex. So reading comprehension needs to, you know, turn up. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I think they put more words in there than are necessary, but, you know, as long as I don't blow myself up, I think we should be okay. We all know the Platitudes University. If you're not confused, they're not happy. So. <laughs> That's <laughs> the only thing I've ever heard it described more accurately than physics. <laughs> so I could imagine. I've a, I think I might go back to a university and just sit in, sit in on a physics class because I think this is also fascinating. The math is something is a skill, but the theoretical side I can just really get excited about, you know? So. Absolutely. I mean, I think physics is extremely entertaining to listen to in formats. Like, I love PBS Space Time, one of my favorite YouTube channels. Um, even though that math and that physics is more complex than I currently understand at some points, it's very, physics I think is very interesting to listen to in, uh, in just podcast format. Check out Akeem's Dream Show. Hey! <laughs> if, hey. You're, if you're not already. I love the plugs. And uh, theoretical physics, what, this might be out the realm of your um, understanding or knowledge, but let me ask, is it possible for water to be a fuel source? Like for example, this is really science fiction-y. But could there be a time in the future where we power our car, or maybe we're doing flying cars by then, with a bottle of water? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe not. It'll probably take a lot more than a bottle of water, but <laughs> it's definitely possible. So, I mean, that already exists. Um, there's like electrolysis engines. They have their fuel source is water. They apply an electric current to run through the water, and it separates it into hydrogen and oxygen. And they use they either cool the hydrogen down severely and mix that with rocket propellant one to uh, create a to create a rocket propellant or they just burn the liquid oxygen with um, with some other compound uh, like ammonium and that'll right. that'll be a rocket rocket fuel source as well so you can actually have a uh, maybe maybe not rocket fuel you don't want for your car <laughs> but um, in this case yeah it's definitely possible to have water fuel fuel machines they fuel us right if they fuel us, I mean, for my car, for sure, I'm Batman, so the Batmobile's going to need a lot of fucking rocket fuel. Oh, yeah. When it comes to uh, rockets, I know that hydrogen is being proposed as a uh, as a fuel source for these rockets, and I'm not sure if it's being uh, used in application yet, but what are your thoughts on hydrogen as a, as a fuel source? I mean, it, I think hydrogen as, as a fuel source is great. Super abundant, super, uh, I wouldn't say clean necessarily, but you can... You can burn hydrogen and oxygen to make water as your exhaust as well, right? So there's, hydrogen has a lot of applications into rocketry and rocket fuel in this case. The only problem with it is that it's so, even in liquid form, it's so not dense. Like mm. it's so, it's so light that it's hard to actually cram enough hydrogen into the spacecraft without it being like 90% of the mass of the spacecraft. Just, and like 90% of the volume, like it's so, it's so difficult to contain it because it's so voluminous. Mm. Yeah, it's very spacious and spread out. That's oh. why I like... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to Yeah, 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 go for it, yeah. But That's why you things like, like Rocket Propellant 1, RP1, is super, super dense, but super toxic for the atmosphere. Okay. RP1. Yeah, RP1. Okay, Google that, folks at home. What are your thoughts on uh, Tesla and, and uh, Blue Origin and all these companies out there that are just kind of changing the game and doing all this crazy stuff with uh, space travel. Well, I think you said it best. They are changing the game. Conventionally, it has been that uh, rocket programs and uh, developments in spaceflight have been funded publicly by large governments and large international bodies, but now with the the, uh, on, the new entrepreneurs, the, uh, the new leaders forward, it's been extremely rapid, the uh, pace of development. We now have vertical, uh, vertical start, vertical landing rockets, uh, which is, which is what Elon Musk has been doing, like being able to land his own rockets and save hundreds of millions of dollars just by not destroying <laughs> what has conventionally been tossed away. Like most rockets and the stages that compose them, as soon as they're burnt out, they just get dropped. They get dropped into the sea. That's literally it. There's hardly any. Uh, or they just get left floating in the atmosphere for a really long time until they burn. But it's a, uh, I think it's really cool. I I uh, I wish Blue Origin was doing better right now. What's, uh, what's, what's going on with them? Um, they have they've had a few setbacks and they haven't been able to land their own rockets yet. I don't think, but they've gotten close. Um, the problem is 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 vertical uh, vertical takeoff, vertical landing is just very it's very awesome if you can get it right. But if you get it wrong, you just wasted a lot of time and a lot wow. of uh, advanced computer equipment to individually control every stage of the engine, like every stage of the rocket. Um, but yeah, I hope they can get that sorted soon because SpaceX is 
in my opinion, absolutely killing it. Would uh, rocket science, as a as a colloquial term, be would that be more within the field of physics or engineering as a discipline? That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I think the understanding of rocket science is definitely physical, but the application of rocket science to bodies or carriers of this science that won't be destroyed in the process of uh, of like engine ignition and the forces and the uh, the forces obtained during liftoff and landing and the uh, oscillations produce there's actually like a really big problem with rocketry is that if you're too close to the ground when you're fire you'll have like these massive oscillations that are that build up uh, with uh, like resonances with the ground and they will like just shake the rocket apart and have it explode so there's a lot of things which need the like the engineering precision but the physical description like that they need the physics i think they go hand in hand here is it a 50 50 thing or would you say i say 70 30 in case of uh for engineering i think engineering is actually more important in the design of rockets because i don't think it matters you could have like the most powerful most efficient rocket ever but if it blows up on start there's no point in having it Right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, failure, fail, I think it's called Failure to Launch. It's yeah, one of my uh, favorite uh, romantic comedies with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, but uh, that wasn't about rockets. It was, well, there was a rocket involved. <laughs> a man rocket, for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. So you're a big climber. You're a big, you know, maybe you're going to switch lanes here, but you're a big climber. You're a big outdoors guy, big hiker. There's a documentary out there called Free Solo. Yep. Have, have you seen it? I actually have not seen Free Solo, but I know all about it, and I know Alex Honnold is the man who did the Free Solo on El Capitan, the route on the nose of the Dawnwall. So I know exactly what happened, I just have not seen it. In this case, it's it's all about a dance. That's all it really was. He spent, I think it was years, if not months, perfecting the moves of the dance, and all he did was dance his way up the rock. By dance, you mean uh, like uh, placeholders and the way you actually is that like a per, is that like a cool I, call, I call it a dance in this case because is that climber it, slang? No, I call it's not climber slang in this case, but I call it a dance because he perfectly choreographed every single move it, he needed to make it up that wall without falling. He probably fell hundreds of times off that wall. Right. And in this case, he needed to perfectly memorize or. Or at least adjust to the situation with a with a pretty good background to uh, be able to make it up that wall. I think it's extremely inspiring. Probably one of the greatest individual feats in athletic history. I don't like. Sorry, Tom Brady and number five. <laughs> I think it's number six now. But uh, number seven actually. Number seven. But I still think Alex Honnold's free solo is probably one of the most impressive individual sportsmanship feats. Are you kind of not watching it as a? Is there a reason? <laughs> is there a reason I think that? No, is there a reason you haven't watched it yet? I'm broke. I don't know. I oh, was like, enough. I didn't want to pay for it. That I was, was like, okay, hey, somebody send, uh, we're going to put uh, Ethan's uh, information in the show notes here, his Instagram and stuff. Somebody uh, hook him up with a copy of it because it's a great show and I think that he'd love it. Uh, if you go on Ethan's Instagram, you'll see him climbing boulder rock, uh, bouldering and stuff like that. Uh, how'd you get into bouldering? What's your passion around that? I don't really know how I got into it. I think I was just watching some videos on YouTube. I was like, wow, these guys are super strong. Like, I wish I could uh, be that strong calisthenically. Like, I just uh, I just wanted that. And I, I realized I was getting bored with powerlifting. Like, I, that's what I did a lot before uh, rock climbing. I was doing powerlifting. Best lifts, I think I... Getting yoked! Yeah, exactly. Muscle milk! <laughs> but I think the application, like, to be able... The ability to uh, have a greater range of body movements than just the three main lifts it really kept me interested and that's why i like bouldering what's the is there any physics in the bouldering yeah for sure like basic mechanics like newtonian mechanics um it's all about torque and uh yeah it's basically all about torque that's all it is you want to stop yourself from falling and rotating which law, off the which wall. law is that law one or two or three or three um that would definitely be the second law that every action has an Oh my God! Am I gonna forget these laws? <laughs> no, because when you get so listen, folks, when you get as far advanced in physics as Ethan, the you know the basics and the fundamentals they just don't matter anymore. Is that right? The thing is, I may not remember the order of the laws, but I sure fucking know how to use them in math. <laughs> okay. That's for that's for sure. That's all. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Um, but I think in this case, all of uh, Newton's laws would count. First law: uh, rectilinear motion. Everything moves in a straight line unless acted upon by external force. Second one. Um, 
every action has an equal and opposite reaction, and the third one is something like an object in motion tends to stay in motion. No, that was that, the, that, that was the first one. That's the first it was one. Rectilinear motion. Uh, oh well. You're okay. Listen, you're the experts. Okay, so someone, <laughs> someone's gonna be like you idiots. Uh, but uh, wha- one more thing about Ethan, I think, is really interesting. Is his love for anime. <coughs> He's not Japanese. So uh, we have to figure this out. What's going on with this? A- was it quarantine that made you stop? Wa- made you start watching uh, animes, or kind of what? What was that? Uh, what's going on there? So I mean, anime is just good. I don't know what to say. Okay. I just like the art style. Uh, I'm not so much for the waifus or anything like that. I'm not a weeb, but I do enjoy. What is anime. a weeb? What's a weeb? Oh, uh, weeb would be what my brother is. In this case, uh, shots fired. Yeah, I know. He's, gonna, <laughs> he's never gonna. He might watch this, so oh, okay. he might come after me, but um, being a weeb is just really enjoying anime to the next level, and oh. <laughs> basically just simping for anime girls. Nothing wrong with it, do your thing, but uh, it's not me. Oh, fair it's enough. It's not me. Fair enough. You're, yeah, you live in the real world, that respect. Uh, my favorite animes, maybe you can share some of yours, these are mine. Uh, Dragon Ball, Street Fighter, and uh, most recently, Baki. Okay, I've watched uh, Dragon Ball and some Street Fighter, but I have not watched Baki. Baki. Uh, what is? Uh, what are your three? My three. Um, right now, my top two that I can say for sure are Death Note and Attack on Titan. Easy. Literally no. N- literally no. I know that's super basic when it comes to the anime world, but I think those two have absolutely astounding, astounding art styles and are very good. I think the third one is between uh, Tower of God, which is like. Uh, so one-off season, as far as I'm aware, they're not making another one, but it was super good. And uh, Hunter Hunter, but that one is like more childlike, but still good. Right. No, I, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Um, Attack on Titan. That show has an amazing uh, lore. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> like the the way they develop the story and the the invitation of the lore to like just the universe they live in. It just it's so so smooth. Like and the the art style is impeccable. I think the voice acting in the original Japanese is quite, quite good. But I mean, I don't speak Japanese, but I mean, I think it's, I think it's amazing. Probably one of my, not even just favorite anime, probably one of my favorite shows of all time, I would say, is Attack on Titan. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, the the first, like, I don't know, season, I think, on Netflix, I just binged. I was just like, and then I went down this YouTube rabbit hole where I was trying to figure out the lore, because it was kind of confusing. But, uh, but then once I got a hold on it, it started to make sense, but really impressive. Uh, lore they built in that show. The IP is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ethan, we've come to the part of the show now where we're going to do 10 words. It's, uh, it's it's a game that every guest on Akeem's Dream Show has to play where I say a word and you say the first thing that comes to mind. It could be a word or a phrase in response and we can elaborate on each one as you, say, as you see fit, but are you ready to play? Yeah, I'll try my best. <clears throat> Many have come, few have made it out alive. That's it? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, this is about to get really hard. No, no, no. If you can uh, do theoretical physics, this is a walk in a park. Okay. Okay, so ten words. Number one is neutron. Proton. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, super basic there. Number um, <laughs> neutron? Oh, I should have said star. That would have been a good one. Okay. Number two is tinder. Matches. <laughs> That's fire. Hey, it is what it is, yo. <laughs> Uh, number three is Japan. Sushi. I love sushi. Absolutely one of my favorite foods. Had it yesterday. Had like 20 pieces of sushi. Like California roll with the uh, crab or what? Is? Yeah, the good stuff only. Yeah, wasabi and uh, teriyaki or whatever. It's usually like horseradish actually. It's usually not actually wasabi, but I still like it. Yeah, I heard there's a huge thing about that where like the wasabi you get in your typical sushi dish is not actually even even real. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like not 90%, wasabi. Yeah. I literally looked on the ingredients. It's like horseradish. It's like, huh, at least I like horseradish. We've been lied to for so long. I can't believe it. Horseradish. I have a story about that. When I worked at Earl's, uh, I we were getting initiated, and somebody dipped my head in. Well, every new dishwasher, because horseradish makes you cry. It's like onions. But uh, it's uh, they dipped my head in it, and they said, "Are you willing to be part of the brotherhood?" And I was like, "I guess." Wow, they went hard on you yeah. when you became a dishwasher. It was two thousand six. It's crazy shit. Uh, number uh, word number four is invisibility. Best power ever. Is it theoretically possible? Physics. Um. I think that really depends on what you call invisibility, like complete undetectability by anyone from any angle. 
then no, probably not. Probably not possible. But there is definitely extremely good camouflage, which will act nearly like invisibility, right? Like if you just see, so if someone's laying down in a ghillie suit in the middle of the forest, you are not going to see them. Right, camouflage. Yeah, but there's also very, very technologically advanced camouflage, which allows it to refract the light around yeah. the actual user and project what's behind them on front of them. And that is extremely good camouflage, but if you move, it doesn't work. Right. So, invisibility, not so much plausible, but... Well, you think about airplanes, right? The radar, the radar um, insensitivity, where you can uh, be invisible from radars and stuff. I think that's interesting. That's a form of visibility. Yeah, that is. It is. It really depends what you define as invisibility, right? I mean, electromag electromagnetic radiation, where you can only pick up the visible spectrum, but we everything, all the radiation around us, like UV radiation, cosmic radiation, even radio waves, are completely invisible to us. Like if I could see in radio waves, I would see that from this computer in front of me, there would be this electromagnetic radiation emanating from it. Right. Right, yeah, yeah, and I wonder if there's any animals who can see that. There are, I mean, bees can see thermal radiation. Really? Like, heat? yeah, and they can, they have heat vision. Snakes do as well, they have heat pits on the, uh, I think it's the top of their head or something like that. That's it's, badass. Um, yeah, so it's, I think it's not so much about invisibility as it is perception. Perception. So, I love Batman. When they create a B-Man character, his superpower will be being able to see heat waves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or something for the queen, but one of the two. <laughs> queen B, yeah, yeah. Okay, number word number five is hike. Love them. Just love them. Hike. Uh, long, long hikes. Favorite yeah. hi Any favorite hiking spots, like Elk Island or something like that? or? I mean, I've uh, done all the trails at Elk Island, but uh, I don't think it's my favorite place to hike. I think uh, being up in Jasper or Banff, up in the mountains, unbe unbeatable, probably one of the best parts about living in Alberta. Have to agree. I'm kind of uh, very, very uh, unseasoned when it comes to the mountains, but I'd definitely like to go one day. I just have to get my leg strength up. Number six, beer. IPAs. 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 It's good stuff. Okay. I enjoy it. Number seven, electromagnet. Radiation. <laughs> <laughs> electromagnetic radiation. A electric, yeah, I said that wrong. Electromagnetic. Radiation, yeah. L like what we were just talking about. I think um, two of the founding fathers when it comes to electromagnetic radiation, uh, or three, I guess, is... Max Planck with the uh, solution to the ultraviolet catastrophe, which explained why there wasn't so much radiation in the UV, but more in the visible light, and how, and it describes the curve of the light emitted from a star. It's really interesting, actually. And another uh, father of electromagnetic radiation has got to be Albert Einstein, coining the word photon. Really? I mean, yeah, he coined the word oh. which describes the the discrete packet of light emitted. And uh, I think the last one is. Hans, Hans Christian Orsted with the discovery of electromagnetism before it was uh, popular. He's literally the father of electromagnetism. Hans, whatever I just said, <laughs> is, uh, I mean, being able to, to, do, to understand that current is produced by moving magnetic fields is like extremely integral in all the electronics that we see today. He, he paved the way for modern electronics. Wow. So we should be, we should know his name like Einstein. Yeah, you really should. But he's just, uh, he lived a really long time ago and uh, apparently that doesn't matter so much to people anymore. But without him, um, I guess it would have taken some other genius to uh, discover electromagnetism for us. Well, once this goes viral, make sure we put some respect on his name, Hans. Uh, electromagnetic. So you, I also heard it's one of the hardest disciplines within physics. It is. 100%. I took... Uh, Last semester, I took a, a course called Physics 381, electromag electromagnetism and radiation, and it was insane. It was just <laughs> insane. Unlike it was unlike. I think quantum mechanics is like easy compared to, to to electromagnetics. It's just the level of math you need to know is ridiculous, and like the applicability to certain like special cases and conditions is so much higher than quantum mechanics. Number word number eight is art. Abstract. Abstract? Yeah, I think uh, I think art is just a, just an idea. That's all it is. Enough said. Number nine is, word number nine is model. I ain't got nothing for you. Physical, maybe. Physical model. 
Okay. It's a physical model of the universe. That's physics for you. All right. I mean, uh, you, uh, folks or out my, there. Or myself. I'll just, okay, thank you. <laughs> Come on now. I'll try to, I'll try to plug your stuff. Uh, Ethan's a pretty handsome guy, so he's got a few pictures on his uh, page there if you ever go check it out. I've had a few modeling shoots, yeah. Um, they're all right. Not as interesting as physics, but, you know. <laughs> hey, it depends who you're talking to, right? There's some young uh, gals out there who might find it interesting, but... Uh, uh, Word number 10 is quantum. Mechanics. Come on. Easy peasy. No, <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say anything else other than mechanics. Maybe quantum particles or quantum gravity. What about quirks? Quirks? Like quirks that I have? No, isn't that or a... Or quarks. Quirks. Yeah. Quirks. God damn it. Yeah, no worries. I was just uh, I was like, quirks. Why are you asking me why I'm weird? <laughs> no, you are. U-A-R, not I-R. Yeah, quarks. Um, they're the base elementary particle that makes up neutrons and protons. I think it's a two up, one down for proton and two down, one up for neutron or something like that. I can't remember. Exactly, don't hate me. <laughs> um, sorry to all the physics professors out there, I failed you. <laughs> no, you haven't. Um, but yeah, quarks, super interesting. Um, I don't think they've actually been observed, They just we just know what's happened because of interactions in the Large Hadron Collider, which have been like the destruction of, of protons and neutrons through high energy interactions, which release these charged particles with like one-third and two-thirds charge okay wow no that's amazing i thought of quarks because there's a character in uh ratchet and clank uh, an old ps2 video game where uh this like evil genius guy his name is quark oh it's really uh, interesting yeah it's pretty crazy we have come to the end of the show ethan thank you very much for being such an astute guest and uh amazing amazing uh, uh, wealth of knowledge when it comes to physics and, wor and the world at large and I think people are maybe going to start becoming more interested in this field which is underrated uh, do you have any remarks or final requests for the audience I just want to I just want to agree with you there I hope that people will consider physics not so much outside of the realm of the everyday reality that they live in a lot of people think it's only for nerds only for Albert Einstein type individuals uh, but I think it's Physics is for everyone, and under even a basic understanding of the math and the and the physics that makes up our reality, I think can be really um, enlightening towards in just any any individual person. I think it's super interesting. It's um, and the farther you get into physics and and the mathematics, the more rewarding it becomes. The more the deeper understanding of the physical systems you obtain, and it's just it's awesome. I seriously appreciate you having me on this podcast. It's been a great opportunity, and I, I want this to blow up, man. Dude, I want your listen. I want your career to blow up. You have an amazing mind, and listen, uh, Blue Origin, Amazon, Tesla, Virgin Galactic. If you're listening to this, Ethan is going to be graduating in how many years? 2022 next year. I 2022. Okay, so uh, get your uh, get your affairs in order uh, uh, over there at these companies, and make sure you hire my boy when he graduates, because uh, as you can tell, he knows his shit. Uh, where can people find you online? On the Instagram or uh, Instagram, Ethan.c.d.row. Um, that's all. That's all I gotta say. You can stalk my Facebook if you, uh, <laughs> if you, if you look up my name. All right. Besides that. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Akeem's Dream Show. And until next time, I'll catch you on the electromagnetic wave. Electromagnetic waves. Woof. That is a tongue twister. Peace. Peace.